What a great day to be able to come and to celebrate our victor, to celebrate our king, to celebrate his resurrection. That's what we're doing as we come together to recognize the life that we have in him. You know, as I was reflecting back on previous Easter's in my life, I, I remember special times, especially growing up uh, when my family would join together and be an extended family usually that would get ready and they would come to the worship service. Uh, we would usually go to this little country church that I love so dearly even to this day and we would get there around 7 a.m. or maybe 7.05 because the service started at 7. And... Uh, <laughs> We got there, and uh, we got to uh, celebrate together. One of the songs that we always would sing would be, Up from the Grave He Arose. Every Sunday, every Easter Sunday, we knew we would sing that song. And, and then, of course, we would have the uh, preaching, and we would have a, a great time together. And then my family would join together, and they would go out to eat breakfast at Shoney's. Now, I'm not telling you that they were all precious memories that I had. I'm kind of thankful I can do a little better today, go a little different. Hey, I'm thankful I don't have to get up at 6.30 or 6.15 to get to church on Sunday morning. I, I, see, I'm, a, I'm not a morning person. You know that. So, but those were good days. But you know, Easter shouldn't just be a memory in our life. As a matter of fact, Easter should be a present reality every day of our lives. That the Easter message, that the idea of the resurrection, that the resurrection power would consume us and lead us each day. I want you to turn, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about prayer. As a matter of fact, beginning in January, we started a study on prayer. And as I was looking toward this day, as I was really wrestling with the message of, of how to be able to take the resurrection and think of it in terms of prayer and living, I, as I wrestled with that, I, I came to Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. And I believe there, as you see this prayer, this benediction that is offered by the writer of Hebrews, you hear him speak about the power of our God and how the power of his resurrection really motivates us, enables us each and every day. And what an encouraging and challenging message this is. And I pray that I can communicate it to you effectively today as we look at God's Word. Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 20, the writer of Hebrews is kind of summing up his sermon. Yeah, in many ways, this book is a sermon. Some have called it a letter, in some aspects it is. But in so many ways, it's like a homily, a teaching, a sermon. And he brings it together by giving us a benediction, by speaking a word of prayer on behalf of his readers. And this is what he says. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you, what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The writer of Hebrews had written this sermon, written this letter, so that the people that he was speaking to would understand the superiority, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. There were those 
that were very concerned about falling back into their previous lifestyles, adopting those rituals of the past, somehow giving back to the lifestyles that they had had. And the writer of Hebrews writes and he says, listen, you don't want to go back. Jesus Christ is far superior than anything and everything you've ever experienced. You don't want to slip back into the lifestyles. You don't want to slip back into those rituals. You want to follow Jesus. So what the writer of Hebrews does here after really giving that message to the people is that he prays that through the power of the resurrection and the power of God himself that the people would be equipped and enabled to do his will and to keep going. It is a wonderful prayer. And it, I think it really speaks to us in two different ways. When we come to prayer in our lives, we pray to the God of the resurrection. I want you to think about that a moment. When I come and talk to God, when I come and pray to him, I am praying to the God of the resurrection. I'm praying to the God that has the power to bring life where there was death. And I believe that's what the writer of Hebrews says here when he addresses this. The God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. I like the language that is used here. The word resurrection is not necessarily used in the passage, but you can hear the idea of the resurrection. As a matter of fact, it says that this is the God who led Jesus out of the death, out of the dead ones, literally. How incredible is that? That he was able to lead him out, that he was able to bring him out, that he was able to give to Jesus life. No other had ever experienced such an event. No other had experienced death and then come back to life in such a way. Some of you say, well, how about Lazarus now? Remember when Jesus brought forth Lazarus? Yes, Jesus did bring forth Lazarus. It was a miracle. He was dead and God, through Jesus Christ, brought him back to life. But Lazarus did not live for, he did not live physically for eternity. In other words, he died again. Jesus is the only one and is still the only one that has been delivered from the dead, from the dead ones. Now, last week, I talked to you a little bit about the uniqueness of Christ. Some of you who were here, you remember that. Shake your head and make me look good in front of the guest. Okay? I spoke about uniqueness. And remember what I said? I gave you a little grammar lesson, a little English lesson. That when you speak of something being unique, you, it is not comparable. In other words, it is inappropriate for you to say that something is more unique than something else. It is inappropriate for you to say that is the most unique thing I've ever seen. It is inappropriate for you to make such a comparison because the word unique means one of a kind. No other. You can't compare it. Remember what I said last week? That it's kind of like being dead, right? If something is dead, it is dead. And I gave the example, I love this, because in the 1115 gathering, some of the people who saw that dead possum on Cedar Creek, they just resonated with my heart. Because I sat in there, because I, I walked upstairs and one of the guys said, now come on, there was a movie about this girl. What is it, Nugent? What is the name of the movie? Princess Bride. Yeah, where she's not really dead or she comes back or all that kind of stuff. If you're dead, you're more dead, most dead. I was like, listen. 
I don't care what the Princess Bride said. If something is dead, it's dead. That possum out on Cedar Creek Road, he was dead the first time he got run over. I told him in the 1115 gathering, you run over him 51 more times, he's still dead, he's not more dead. He looks rougher. Yes, he does. You can't compare deadness. You're either dead or you're not. Hey, when you talk about uniqueness, you're either unique or you're not. And just as I said last week that Jesus was the unique high priest, let me say to you this week, he is the unique one that overcame death, hell, and the grave. There's no one else like him. There's no one else. There is no one else that you could say was brought up from the dead ones or brought out of the dead ones. Even the indication of this passage means that there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dead individuals who had never experienced something like this. God brought Jesus up. We pray to the God of the resurrection. How does that impact my prayer in particular? If I'm praying to a God that has the power of the resurrection, that has the power to bring Jesus up from the dead, if I am praying to the one that is unique above all others in this universe, if I am praying to Him, that means that He has the power to work in my life. He has the power to move on my behalf. I am praying to a God who is powerful. It is an indescribable limitless power that he has. And that should encourage all of us when we come to pray that we're praying to a God that has power. We're not praying to a God that is anemic or weak or puny. Unfortunately, there are too many people out there all over this world who are worshiping and praying to such things, but not us. There are too many people even living in our states who are worshiping themselves and really thinking that they themselves can empower themselves to do what they want to do. I say to you, that cannot happen and never will. There is only one power that we can truly trust and we can truly go to in prayer, and that is the God above. And that is what he is saying. This is the God who brought up Jesus so in this prayer, when the writer of Hebrews is coming, he recognizes the power of God. And so should we. A few weeks ago, I preached a message. Basically, what does it matter? What does it matter that we pray? I mean, why would we pray? And again, I want to echo the real truth from that message, and that is this. We pray because our God is powerful, and if our God is powerful, He can change things, He can work on our behalf, He has the ability to make a difference. That's the reason we pray. Because we pray to this God of the resurrection. He is the one that has the power to make a difference in our lives. Some weeks ago when I started this series, I entitled it, Pray change the story. And the reason I entitled it that was because of this basic truth. That prayer, as we call upon the God of heaven, the God of the resurrection, He can change the story. 
You got an example right here before you today. When I came up as a child, I thought I just had to be good enough. I went to Sunday school. Again, you heard me talk about gathering with a family at that church. And I, I would go to children's events. I would do different things like that. I thought I was a pretty good boy. My mama thought I was a pretty good boy. Mamas usually do, right? But as I approached the age of 12, I recognized I could never do enough to attain salvation on my own. I knew I'd fallen short of the glory of God. I knew I'd sinned. And I knew I was separated from a God, the God of heaven. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. I prayed. I called out to him. I asked God to come into my life and to save me. And guess what? He changed my story. All these years later, I'm standing before you proclaiming the gospel, the message of the resurrection because my message or my story itself has been changed. God changed. He intervened in my life. He worked in my life. He changed me. I believe that. He has the power to change. It makes all the difference in the world as you face the things that you come against. Yes. The opposition that you have at work, it makes a difference. You can pray and call out to a God that has the power to intervene and work on your behalf. When you hear the word cancer, when you hear that you have heart issues, any kind of physical malady that you would have, it makes a difference that you know that you serve a God, a God that is powerful enough to bring the dead back to life, and thus a God that can intervene in your life and bring healing and work in His own way. Yes, it does. It makes a difference. When your wife looks at you and says, I've had enough, I'm walking out, and you are broken, it is in that moment that you need to remember that you serve and you pray to the God of the resurrection, the God that has the power again to bring life. And if he can somehow work in his own way to bring Jesus back from all of the dead ones before, he has a way to work and intervene in your life. We pray to the God of the resurrection. The resurrection validated everything that Jesus said and did. And in so many ways punctuated salvation, the Christ event at least. Notice again. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Notice that. As he is praying, he recognizes the resurrection, the power of it. But he also recognizes that somehow the resurrection has punctuated this time of Jesus' life and fulfilled his mission and purpose here on this earth. The blood of the everlasting covenant. I've got a God who is powerful. But in that phrase, I hear that I have a God who loves and cares for his people. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. What is a covenant? It's like an agreement. It's like a relationship coming together. Those uh, who get married, they think about a relationship. Even sometimes we call it a covenant. I think marriage is truly a covenant. 
between two people, a commitment, a relationship, an agreement coming together. Here, the writer of Hebrews says that as we pray, as we think about the power, we also think about how he cares by establishing this blood covenant with us. Hebrews chapter 8, really as he spoke about the prophet Jeremiah, he spoke about how there would be a new covenant that would come. In many ways, as you look at our Bible, you proclaim the idea of a new covenant. Why? Because Old Testament, that testament, the Latin word is, basic, or Latin word is testament. It basically means covenant. You might say the Old Covenant. New Testament, same word. You could say new covenant, old relationship, new relationship. Not that God hasn't always been the same and saved by faith, but in the New Testament, as we know, we see the power of God reflected in Jesus Christ and through his death, burial, and resurrection. And God's made, in a sense, a new agreement with us, a new covenant, a blood covenant. Just as the Old Testament, the agreement would be made with a sacrifice, with the shedding of blood, so in the New Testament we see that Jesus shed his blood for us to bring us into a relationship. Because while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. Now think of that a moment. You and I have a God who has the power of the resurrection itself. And we also have a God who loves us so much that he was willing to send his one and only son to establish a new relationship with us through the shedding of that son's blood. See, this, this should make all the difference in your life as you live and as you pray. Because when you pray, you pray to a God that's got the power to do something. And when you pray, you pray to a God who has already demonstrated his commitment to you through sending his son. A God who loves you so much that he was willing to give up all for us. That makes a difference in the way I pray. And the way I come to God knowing that he's got the power to do something and that he loves me and he wants to act on my behalf. So we pray to the God of the resurrection. But also I want you to hear this. We pray for the power of the resurrection in our lives. So we pray to the God of the resurrection and then we basically ask him, we say, God, would you demonstrate within us the power of that resurrection. Notice what it says again in verse 21. Again, the prayer is being offered to the God of peace who has been able to accomplish all of this and to show us his love. In verse 21, he says that this God would make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So basically what he does is he prays for these folks that they would be empowered, they would be equipped, they would be completed in some way so that they could accomplish good works in their lives and fulfill the will of God. 
So he says, God, you who have the power, demonstrate that resurrection power in their lives so that they can live accordingly. That word, make you complete or equip, maybe some of your translations say, or empower, whatever it is that you find in your scripture. That word basically means to to bring these factions together, to bring healing, to bring some type of repair. Sometimes the word was, was used to describe the setting of broken bones or trying to bring mending to the broken bones. In other words, there had to be great power and strength to know that you could bring such healing. So think of it in these terms. Here we are. We've been saved by the grace of God. He has worked in our lives. But He continues to bring restoration and repair. He continues to work in such a way so that we may produce good works on His behalf. And it has to come through His power. Now, many of us may think we can accomplish a lot without God. We may think we can do good works on our own and we know people that are nice people and they do good things. But let me say to you, we will never be able to fulfill God's purpose for our lives. We will never be able to fulfill His will or accomplish the good works He calls us to without His power in our lives. Not going to happen. You and I are too weak. We are too fragile. We have too much brokenness. But God is the one who works to make us complete, who equips us so that we can produce good works. You see, I wasn't saved by my good works. But I was saved to produce good works. There's a whole lot of difference in that phraseology, in that way of thinking whole lot of difference. There are a lot of people today that think they'll be saved by good works. And they're not just 10 years old. They're some of them 20 and 30. They think somehow if they just keep doing certain things that they'll be saved. No. No. You are saved through the blood covenant of Jesus Christ. You're saved through your faith and trust in Him. Oh, and I didn't mention this earlier, but it is, that is an eternal agreement, isn't it? Eternal covenant. In other words... My relationship with him extends through all of eternity. Now that he saved me, I am saved for all of eternity. But good works didn't save me. Good works will not save you. But once you are saved, once you truly have this relationship with God, you have been genuinely converted to, the, to God's love and, and work, then that means you are different. And you should live differently. Oh, how hard it is to live differently, isn't it? Every day it seems to get tougher in our culture, in our communities. We see the idea of the Christian message being pushed back by so many. But you can live differently through the power of Christ. As you produce good works in your life. Again, Ephesians chapter 2 that really, that really speaks to us about how we are saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We have the empowerment of God in our lives to produce good works. We have the empowerment of God in our lives to do his will. In Hebrews 13, again, it says that you make you complete in every good work to do his will. We don't have enough time to flesh it out this morning, but just think how Jesus was committed to the Father's will. He was totally committed. Even to the cross itself, he was committed to die for us and to be resurrected. Jesus gives us an example of what it means to follow the Father's will. But hey, as I've said over and over, He gives us the power to follow the Father's will. So He gives us an example. That's great. But He intervenes in our lives to give us the power to follow God's will. Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. Folks, you and I, we don't have enough time to really just sit around and, and think about the kingdom. God's called us to get up and be about His business, about His will, about accomplishing His purposes. And we do it as we're empowered. Notice it says the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd, the great shepherd. The idea carries with it Guidance, leadership, the one who is there for the sheep. I love this word. Darryl, it's the same word for a pastor. If you look in the New Testament, the pastor, the shepherd of a church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, which talks about the equipping as well and talks about this idea of the pastor in verse 11 that God had given. So he is our great pastor. Isn't that awesome? See, I, I am so grateful that I'm so grateful that God has called me to serve as a pastor. And I always say this, like, this is the best thing you could ever do. This, this, what I do, because it's what God called me to do, is the best thing you could ever do. I love it. I love being a pastor. I love preaching. I love being able to check on people, see what's happening. I love being around the church. I just love it. There's nothing else like it. But there are days... There are days when so much comes and so many people are, are searching, and, and rightfully so, and I pray with them, and I am so thankful I have those opportunities. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have those opportunities, but, but sometimes there are so many things that bear down on us. Thursday night, I preached over at Emmanuel for our associational meeting, and I said to them that I believe that this Holy Week, perhaps, there is a higher spiritual warfare that's going on than unlike any other week that I've seen recently. I don't know if it's because, I don't know, I'm just saying to you, as I look out, I see spiritual warfare all around. Through physical issues, through financial issues for people, through relational issues that they faced. I got to Thursday and I said, okay, God, there's got to be some relief somewhere along the way. 
oh, I'm so proud that the problems of this church and the problems of this community and the problems of this state does not rest upon just me and one pastor. I'm proud we got a chief pastor right up. We, we got a chief pastor in the heavenlies. And when we seek his will and his power, he is there to direct us and guide us. He's that shepherd. He's that pastor that comes along that is there for us to lead us into good works, to help us achieve those things that we cannot achieve on our own. No wonder Paul prayed in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 3, verse 10, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection because he knew that even though he had set all these things aside, all that past, all that baggage, all that background, Paul knew that it was only through the power of the resurrection that he would see change and that he would see the equipping that he so desperately needed. And in the end, as God works in our lives with the power of the resurrection, He allows us to produce good works so that what happens? Our Father in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are worshipped and celebrated and glorified for who they really are. He says... That through Jesus Christ, this would be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, it's interesting that even the writer of Hebrews said, I need help. I need the empowerment. Those previous two verses, 18 and 19, he had actually said, pray for us. Pray for us. Now, he wrote scripture. Think about that a moment. This writer of Hebrews produced the inspired word. And he said, I need help. So if he needed help, let me tell you, we need help. We need the empowerment of the resurrection to be able to produce good works in our lives. And when those good works are produced, guess what happens? Our God is glorified as he rightly should be. That all glory would belong to him forever and ever. Jesus said it like this as we prepare to close. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So in other words, when the empowerment of the resurrection comes in our lives, it allows us to produce good works. Not so that people can say, oh, look how great you are. But rather they can say, Look how great your father is. Look how great your God is. A God that is powerful enough to do that in your life, to produce that, is a God that is worthy of praise and celebration. This morning I got here, I was proud everything was on and working. Some of you know Loy's out, so Loy's usually the one that takes care of so much. And We got here this morning, Easter Sunday, the lights came on. That's a good thing. Even better, the air condition seems to be on. That's a good thing. So we're thankful for that. But you know, if you'd have walked in here this morning and 
the lights would not have been on and the air conditioning wouldn't have been working, well, you probably would have gone somewhere else, right? You prob- but you would have thought to yourself, now, what happened? I mean, those lights aren't shining. They're, they're not good. I mean, maybe they're out. Now, now, all of them, I can't imagine all of them out, but maybe something's happened. The power's not to them. The air conditioning not working. Something's happened. You would know that they're not fulfilling their purpose. Why? Because if they're lights, what do they do? They're supposed to shine. If you got an air conditioning unit, Cecil, brother, it's supposed to run, right? You don't have it just sitting around for its decor- decorative purposes. You don't. It has a purpose, and, and it needs something to get it going. I say to you, the reason some of us aren't shining like we should, and the reason some of us are not producing like we should, is because we are not relying upon the power of the resurrection in our lives. You can try to shine all you want. You can try to manufacture your own power. The only way that you and I will ever produce the fruit, the works that God wants us to produce, is through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that this is not just a day for you to remember This is not just one day for you to take off and say, hey, this is good, celebrate Jesus and what he's done. This is not just a day for you to do that. This is a day for you to recognize and for myself to recognize that we pray to the God of the resurrection that can achieve anything and everything in our lives, that loves us and cares for us, and that we today need to pray that God would not just touch us on Easter Sunday, but God would touch us every day of the week and empower us to be about His business, to be about His will, to produce the good works, so that, so that all will see the glory of our Father above. Because He alone is worthy. He alone deserves our worship. And He alone deserves all nations coming and gathering around the throne to celebrate Him and His power and who He is. May we produce those good works through his power and may that power infect us, invade our lives this week as we serve him. Let's pray together. Father, how we praise you for who you are. And Lord, thank you that we can come to you and we can pray to you knowing that you have the power to act on our behalf. And Lord, that you love us and you've demonstrated it through Jesus that sacrificial love that you have for each and every one of us in this place. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I know that so many things are going on in their lives right now. And Lord, just the minute things I know cannot even compare to all that is happening. God, in relationships, God, in workplaces, God, in doctor's offices and hospitals. Lord, we know that we live in a broken world. But God, we pray you would mend some bones, that you would equip us so that we would live for you, producing the good works that come, again, only through your power and strength. Lord, help us to live daily for you, resurrection lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.